Hey there, and welcome to Talking Commodities, the podcast series where leaders in commodities trading, procurement, risk management, and sourcing come to share truly actionable insights based on real-world experiences with the biggest global companies. Talking Commodities is brought to you by the JP Morgan Center for Commodities at the University of Colorado Denver Business School. The first center is KIND, offering educational programs and research focused on commodities taught by experienced industry experts. Go to business.ucdenver.edu slash commodities to find out more. And Chai, a London technology business who help companies secure more margins, stable prices, and better outcomes. Chai has developed an intuitive web application that provides users with crucial insights and commodities price predictions made by applying artificial intelligence to all of the data that matters, from satellite imagery to freight data. To get access to Chai, go to chaipredict.com. That's C-H-A-I predict.com. Now, over to Stephen Butler, Chief Commercial Officer of Chai and Tom Brady, Executive Director of the JPMCC for this week's episode. Hi there, and welcome to our latest update podcast. I am very pleased to announce and say that we are joined today by Sharon Weinfraub from BP. Sharon has got incredible deep knowledge of the natural gas and power trading markets. She began her career at Continental Bank in Chicago, which is now part of Bank of America, as a commodity derivatives trader, and is currently Senior Vice President of Gas and Power Trading International at BP. Sharon's career has led her across the world with assignments in places like Houston, Singapore, and is, she's now based in London. Sharon, thank you very much for making the time to talk to us today. And I think maybe we should begin talking about your background. Again, Sharon, thank you. And with 30 years of experience plus in, in the commodity industry, you know, can you give us a, just an overview of your background, your story? How did you get involved in commodities in, in the first place? Well, thank you for having me today. And uh appreciate uh, the opportunity to share a bit about my background and enjoy the industry. So always happy to have a chat about it. I really was fascinated by chemistry in high school, and I actually started as a chemical engineering major in the engineering school at Washington University in St. Louis, but quickly found my passion was really in financial markets. I was doing summer internships at Merrill Lynch during my university years. And after my sophomore year, I switched to be an economics major. I ended up moving to Chicago post-graduation, and as you said in the setup, I started working for Continental Bank, actually, in a risk management analyst role. And I was approached by the head of derivatives uh, trading, who was very keen to set up, at the time, a commodity trading business, in addition to what was um, a very active interest rate and FX business. And he thought I had the aptitude and personality to make a successful trader, So really, I just took a shot at it. And 16 years later, half of which was with Continental Bank, now Bank of America, and then the other half at First National Bank of Chicago, which became Bank One and then JP Morgan. I really enjoyed trading for that period of time. And then I ended up joining BP's trading business after many, many bank mergers and a desire to learn the physical trading markets, not just the financial ones I was exposed to in the banking industry. So I joined BP not as a trader. I decided to move to a finance and risk position. So I really began what was a second career with BP in in some respects. 17 years later with BP and many international assignments, um, including two CFO roles and commercial leadership roles, here I am. All right. Great. 
That's really interesting. So along that long career that you've had so far, do you think there are any like key defining moments or experiences that you found that actually became pivotal for your career or the most notable throughout your career? So always a lot of opportunities and experiences to have in 30 years. Very early on, it's about developing an early muscle for taking personal chances and stretch assignments. Be willing to make mistakes and learn from them. And of course, speak up and ask for help when needed. And that no one is an expert in everything all the time. One example, when I was very early in my trading career, I joined an interest rate trading desk, was branching into energies. Well, interest rates trade in yield, energies trade in price. Inevitably, it's easy to get buy and sell backwards. So what was a very important first trade was actually done backwards. So what should have been money making was actually money losing. Now, that could have been career limiting, but instead we all learned from it. We never made that mistake again. So as a trader, learning to make those kinds of mistakes early on, important. When I joined BP, after a number of years in Chicago, I was offered a role in London as the business lead for a big IT project for us to develop our global oil valuation system. And, you know, to uproot, to go to a new country for a project that had I seen the job spec, I probably would have questioned it, was taking a big chance to expand my horizons and learn something new. And the experience in delivering a major change project at scale, which was at the time over a $100 million project, was hugely important in my development and my path to what became CFO roles and, and heads of commercial roles. So, you know, I think it's really about taking those risks. I've been fortunate along the way to be offered four international assignments, three of which were in London and one in Singapore, and really developing leadership skills and experience in, in new cultures, in driving different commercial businesses in new regions. Those have all been really important learning experiences, both professionally and life-changing personal experience as well. I've been very fortunate that I've had a husband who was willing to take on the risk with me and on me and make moves to support my career trajectory and find ways to scale back or commute for his as he needed to. Thank you very much for sharing that. That's actually really, really interesting. Um, one thing that I've picked up on there, because you know I've been in the industry quite a while as well. And, you know, I'm very aware that facilities like the JP Morgan uh, School of Commodities wasn't available when we were starting out. So right. what was it that sort of perked your initial interest to getting into trading and risk per se? Was there any one, you know, was it from an early age that you decided or what, what, what got you to, to propel yourself on? You know, I think I just had an interest from my home environment around financial markets, stocks and bonds, and just had an aptitude for wanting to participate in those. And as I said, what kind of became a side interest became a career along the way. And you know, sometimes it's about being in the right place at the right time. I was coming up through the ranks at a time when energies were deregulating. The natural gas market was just developing its futures. So you know, I was fortunate to be at a bank that had an interest in extending its footprint into other offers, which included the commodity set. And I've traded energies, metals, as well as interest rate derivatives and FX along the way. So sometimes it's a bit of being in the right place at the right time, but um, really enjoying participating in and understanding markets of all kinds, but so many different commodities. And they're, they're unique and interesting because 
they have different attributes and the way they work are very different than, say, to an interest rate market. So it's exciting uh, as well as, as everything else uh, to learn in them. Sharon, you know, what a crazy year we've had with, you know, the pandemic, you know, commodities in particular getting very much hammered initially, but, you know, been on a significant upswing over the last uh, number of months. But, uh, you know, what do you make it from a, you know, a natural gas and, and power perspective? Yeah, Tom, you're right. We've seen tremendous price volatility in gas and power in part tied to extreme weather events in both Asia and the United States. It's really amazing to see the change in the LNG markets, so the liquefied natural gas markets, including the growth of the Asian demand center, the liquidity and market liquidity that's developed, and in particular around the JKM index, as well as a robust development of what we call midterm market. So in that sort of five-year horizon from what was a very either spot-traded market or a very, very long-term 20-year type of, of market. So regarding lessons, well, you know, it's always important to understand the nuances to any commodity and ensure you have the transparency and tools to manage the associated risks, whether they're credit risk, market risk, operational risks, for example. Great. Uh, and what do you think is, is next, uh, next on the horizon for, for these markets? It's an exciting time to be in commodity markets. Gas is hugely important in both the global LNG market as well as the traditional domestic gas production and distribution markets. As the world transitions to using more lower carbon sources of energy and displaces coal, for example, both gas and power will play important roles in both developed and still developing countries and markets. On the power front in particular, each day we hear of more and more countries and corporates and industries driving to reduce their carbon footprint so the growth in renewable energy is unprecedented. We have started predicting gas and LNG prices at Chai. And we, as Tom said, we picked a really funny and interesting year to start doing that. So first we had the situation with the cold spell in Asia and how it impacted on LNG prices. Then it sort of fed on to the cold spell in Europe. And then obviously we don't need to remind people about what happened in February in the US and, and in the Gulf states with the weather situation and how that impacted on, on Henry Hub gas prices. Um, I suppose the question I have is that, you know, you work in one of the most innovative and well-known institutions that there is. How do you guys keep on top of the markets? Well, I mean, I know I read a lot. I read traditional newspapers, industry publications every day. I speak with my team and get daily updates in terms of what's driving short-term market movements. We have um, many, many analysts. They're great roles. They look at both the short-term supply and demand as well as long-term fundamentals. BP's trading business is world-class in that sense. So we have over 100 market analysts who work with our trading teams globally and I really value their input as we think about various markets, the seasonality, the nuances, and the unique external events that may happen that are unpredictable, like COVID, like weather, uh, that impact the commodity market so significantly. The amount of information to distill and that's available nowadays is overwhelming, actually. And Well, that's the thing. So there's so much information out there at the moment that sometimes just becomes mind-boggling. Would you have any sort of quick tips or anything that you think any of our listeners, particularly the sort of younger listeners, what should they do to develop their understanding of the sort of idiosyncrasies that exist within the sort of energy and natural gas markets? Is there anything that you think they should specifically focus on to begin with? 
Yeah, good question. I mean, really, it starts with a good base of understanding and, and looking for those 101 courses and creating that deep understanding early on around different types of commodities, different markets, the nuances, the way they trade, the seasonality, the differences in them, and then build to more and more sophisticated instruments, uh, tools, techniques, extending all the way through to the types of skills around these days, Python and ability to consume data and turn that into insights. So I think it becomes an evolution from finding ways to, to read, learn, distill, ask those questions, but really get clear around some of the starter types of skills and knowledge that you need to ensure that as you progress, you can build upon a good base of understanding. Very, yeah, very interesting. Thank you for that. The last question I have really just touching again, going back to BP and the work you're doing there. There's been a lockstep change on the way people think about energy and the way it's going to be in the future. And, you know, BP were one of the first companies to announce a strategic change in the way that they were going to do business, moving towards a less carbon intensive sources of energy. How do you think, or do you think that will have a significant change within the organization of BP? So the pivot is the biggest change that BP has undertaken in 100 years of business. We are moving from an integrated oil company to an integrated energy company. Getting BP to net zero by 2050 and helping the world get to net zero is the right thing to do for the planet and also our company and our shareholders. While we look to be a leader in the energy transition, it is still a transition. And so we will continue to deliver our resilient hydrocarbons, selectively delivering the operating cash both for our shareholders and also so we can grow our gas, power, and other low-carbon businesses. This means we need new capabilities, competencies, investment, and technologies in areas that have not been primary in the past. Additionally, we're going to require more digital tools and the ability to leverage the massive amount of data the company has to drive the greatest value and insight. Finally, we're gonna to aim to help our customers and partners get to net zero as well. And so we want to be a solution provider in this space. And a great example is our partnership with the city of Houston and helping them achieve their net zero ambitions. And also we provide renewable energy to many end users, including Amazon. Low carbon future impact the world's biggest companies? Learn answers to commodity questions like this with experts from the forefront of research and industry at the J.P. Morgan Center for Commodities at the CU Denver Business School. Join us on Wednesday, July 21st for an online information session on academic courses, non-degree certificates, and professional education offerings. You can also visit our website at business.ucdenver.edu backslash commodities for more information. Karen, kind of switching over to, you know, commodity price risk management and trading specifically, you know, over your career, how have these activities changed and some of the major changes that you've seen? Well, it's definitely grown in sophistication and tools. The technology today and the data and analytics used to inform trading decisions, making that as well as the risk management of those is light years beyond what it was when I first started and having a system of record just to hold transactions was as much technology as we had. So 
you know, at the time when I first came up, Excel was novel and still yet to be embraced. And we are well past a world of Excel spreadsheets. And in fact, the massive amount of data that we have and calculations that we need to deliver with speed is a whole different world. And so being on the front foot in those traded markets require you to have a level of sophistication regardless of the commodity. Additionally, liquidity has grown over time in the benchmark futures and indices. And as I said at the start, I started trading before natural gas was even really deregulated and the futures markets were launched. So that's dating myself. I suppose for all of us, the big events of the last year or two is COVID-19. But is there anything that you think outside of that or or is it still COVID-19 that should be top of the agenda for a uh, risk manager to think about as we move further into 2021? Well, COVID is going to play an important part of uh, supply and demand for a while. We will see as vaccinations roll out around the world at a slightly different pace, depending on if you're in a more well-developed country or not. And then living with this for some time may be what becomes the norm. But certainly uh, the other story is in that net zero ambition and the desire to address climate change, which is growing by the day. And we're seeing uh, a much accelerated pace uh, moving from what had been very focused in Europe now to the United States and other areas. So it is very much front of people's mind. So as a result, the legacy hydrocarbon markets are evolving and new commodities such as renewable diesel, carbon credits, hydrogen, ammonia are all actively being explored. And you know, plus you have the continued growth in the gas and power markets, particularly as coal continues to be displaced. Sharon, another quick question on your uh, on your background. Uh, you know, for some in our audience that are contemplating setting up a hedging strategy, either power or gas, you know, any advice from you know if you're going to start this up from scratch that uh, that you've uh, experienced over your career? Well, my response is not really advice. I, I don't really supposed to give advice from a regulated perspective. But some of the considerations that I would say you need to think through are having an optimal strategy depending on the circumstance and risks that are looking to be addressed. There's many types of financial and physical instruments that can be explored to manage the various risks, including market risk and credit risk. Each circumstance is unique. In addition to the risk management uh, tools to think about, it's also necessary to understand the accounting implications from employing various strategies and hedging approaches. And just on that, so, and again, you may not want to elaborate further, but are there any sort of things that, apart from when setting up strategies, are there any things you should be avoiding? Are there any pitfalls or mistakes that you've seen people make over the years that you think they should be avoided to make? Yeah. I mean, I think you should be aware of certainly a number of things. So I wouldn't underestimate price volatility and the resulting path risk that comes with markets, uh, knowing how to size positions and manage that risk thoughtfully. Also employing good risk management practice, uh, including stress testing your positions and portfolios. Many new traders haven't seen markets in varying cycles. For example, there was a period when interest rates only really went lower over a very, very long period of time. So if you're looking at interest rates, some of those traders have never even experienced a cycle of rising rates. That's not to say they're going to happen immediately, but I guess it's really under having an appreciation for what can happen in varying circumstances and the sensitivities to your hedging program or your risks in various scenarios. Yeah, I'm glad you talked about hedging programs. So in your experience, what you know, is there something that sets apart a the best way to do it or a best-in-class hedging program? 
In my opinion, the best programs are actually hedging a specific risk and are clear which risk can't be managed. So for example, it may be that the perfect hedge isn't possible. So you may be accepting some risk around correlation as a result. So just be clear that that's the case and understand what would happen if that correlation breaks down. You need to monitor performance of hedges on a regular basis, adjusting them as necessary, and be consistent. For example, the airlines hedge and have hedged for many years the price of jet fuel uh, rising in order to manage cash flow and budget accordingly. In particular, it's very hard to pass through fuel price increases to customers. So when prices fall and hedges may lose money, that isn't a failure in the hedging. By executing a, a hedging program over time and not just giving up if you've had one year uh, where your hedges lose money, it's still important. They're there for a reason. Hedges are just that. They're doing their job by protecting against the rise or fall of a price, for example. So, you know, it, that has an opportunity cost, but you need to do it year in and year out with rigor to get the best outcomes. I think that's really interesting and solid advice, particularly after what we've come off in the back of 2020, which I suspect will be analyzed by experts for decades to come. Annoyingly, we're running out of time because I, I, I could talk for hours about this, but... I think we need to probably just touch on some advice now for, again, for some of the people that are trying to start out in a career or they're thinking about commodities as a career to follow. Have you got any advice for people starting out? So, you know, anything you you would say to people that aren't sure, but, you know, what would you say to them? Remain curious. Look for opportunities to explore different roles for commodities through rotational graduate offers. It doesn't mean you have to specialize So quickly, you can get exposure to various roles and responsibilities in a trading organization, for example. BP, as one example, has many rotational graduate programs. We offer internships, but we also have many post-graduation types of uh, rotation programs. So you might spend a year in an LNG analytics role and then move on to a year as an oil cargo scheduler and then finally do a, a last rotation in a credit risk role. So, you know, get that breath early. And then you know, decide where you want to pursue your longer term trajectory. And my motto is always, if you can check all of the items on a job spec that you can do competently, you are probably overqualified for that job. So make sure you're just stretching yourself, you're giving yourself space to learn and develop. And I think then it all works out. And of course, always rooted in doing a good job. Sharon, in, in your leadership uh positions over time, any attributes, skills, or, you know, that you look for when you're hiring people? I always like to look for folks who have drive, resilience, and of course, are are inquisitive. You need to continually ask questions. I would tell folks, you want to understand why you're doing things, uh, not just accept a process or a routine because someone has told you it's done this way. I'm always one who says, want to make sure you're really challenging the status quo. Of course, you need to be a good team player, care about the we, not just the me, and be willing to speak up and maintain a strong culture of compliance, particularly uh, very important in trading business, uh, where in some cases we're in regulated activities. And so having that really robust control and compliance mindset is hugely important. One other question. If you had to give advice to companies rather than individuals, but companies similar in size to BP, how could they increase diversity within their workforce? I know BP worked very hard at that. What advice could you give other companies from what you've seen? 
Well, thanks for acknowledging that hard work. Yes, BP has done a lot over the last few years to improve both gender and ethnicity diversity. We've come a long way, but there's always a lot more to do. Uh, the aim is to widen opportunities and ensure our people processes facilitate that. So we're also doubling down on understanding our data and where we have opportunity to do more uh, rather than just simply implementing broad brush, broad brush approaches to recruitment uh, or training. So it's worth noting that, for example, we have a 50-50 male-female intake into our graduate rotational programs, which helps to build a diverse talent pipeline. As a company a few years ago, we set ambitions, not quotas, but ambitions to reach a level of diversity. And we ensured that our hiring processes supported that with a meritocratic underpinning, as well as making sure we're challenging unconscious bias. So for example, our interview panels and job candidates must be diverse or an exception must be requested. This really forces hiring managers to push hard for qualified diverse candidates instead of taking what historically might be a simpler uh, way out, but it also might mean that you're hiring a little too much in your own image. So it's really challenging that we have diverse candidate pools uh, at the beginning of a hiring process. It's also great to see diversity in senior roles in organizations and showing that it's possible to reach such positions. You know, the old saying, you can't be what you can't see. So uh, really great to see that diversity pulling through an organization. And uh, finally, we're, like other companies, embracing flexible working even more, which helps support working parents and others who just want and expect work-life balance. Well, Sharon, last question here. You know, I know you touched on, you know, commodity 101 type classes. and Any other types of either courses or skills that, that you would recommend to some of those students in the audience that are looking to enter, you know, advance in, in, in the commodity space? Well, some of our most successful traders actually have English literature degrees. So you don't necessarily have to be an engineer or a, or a math major to succeed in commodities and commodities trading environments. That said, as we've said earlier, you know, you need to understand how markets operate, instruments that can be traded, and nuances to these physical commodities, uh, where unlike a financial instrument, if you put a million barrels of oil on a ship, you do not get a million barrels at discharge, which is very different to settling a financial instrument. So understanding that, as well as rules and regulations for liquidity, supply and demand, seasonality, and other areas of what impacts markets that relate to everything through to a cash flow. So develop that strong base of understanding. And as I said, most importantly, keep asking why. Sharon, thanks. Thanks so much for being part of the season two webcast and, you know, from the JP Morgan Center for Commodities, very much appreciate your involvement with the, the center. You know, we have a, an active industry advisory council and, and Sharon, the likes of which like Sharon help us, you know, shape our curriculum, you know, what's important uh, for us to be pursuing in terms of classes and, and research. So, so thank you. Sharon, I'd like to say I found that really informative. I hope people that listen to this next week enjoy it. And thank you very much for your time. Well, thanks to you both. And thanks for having me today and really appreciate the time. You're very welcome. So that's it for today. If you enjoyed the podcast, I would encourage you to subscribe and rate it wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to come on the show as a future guest, and you think you've got something contrarian to say, please do get in touch. My email address is jake at chipredict.com. Today's show was written and co-hosted by Stephen Butler and Tom Brady. 
Special thanks to Erica Hyman of the JP Morgan Center for Commodities at UC Denver and Maria Valentina, who produced the podcast. Thanks very much. See you next time.